0: Welcome to Chatting Kit, this is our first episode of a brand new podcast series where we chat camera technology with your hosts Luke Della
1: and Matthew Steele. Luke and I have been working in commercial video production for over six years, DOPing and operating across a variety of projects including broadcast, branded content, events and live music and we love geeking out on the kit that we use.
0: This week, we chat the Sony FS5, which has been hailed as the baby brother to the Sony FS7. This isn't a new camera, but this is a camera which has left many split about whether to purchase. And this is a camera which myself and Matt both have experience with. So we wanted to give you our experience and thoughts about whether it's worth your money. But before we get to that, we're gonna have a look at this week's news headlines.
1: Some really exciting news this week. The first thing i want to talk about is a couple of stabilizers that are on the horizon so the first one is the dji ronin 2 successor to the insanely popular widely used dji ronin so this is something that's now going to be taking on heavier payloads it's going to have a new setup where it's in a ring shape a bit like the movi stabilizers so it'll be much quicker to set up and you can just put it down instead of putting it in a cradle and it's designed to be mounted on all sorts of different uses so aerials cars any kind of setup that maybe would have required a bigger rig last time but on the flip side whilst that's an improvement of the three axis ronin stabilizers so far freefly movi carbon is on its way as well and again price bracket is a lot higher we're talking around thirty thousand dollars as far as we know Um, but again movi are just they're really aiming for some serious use on this, so it's essentially a carbon ball. It looks like, and it's really exciting because it's a five-axis stabilizer, and it has a Sony A7S II inside with a 24 to 240 mm lens. So this is a bit more of a all purposes served stabilizer than the DJI Ronin Two. Really exciting that it's a five-axis gimbal. Maybe this is a glimpse of the future.
0: One one thing that just comes to mind hearing that. So if the Movi sort of a... Sorry, Movi or Movi. I always get confused, but I'm just going to say Movi for now. Um, let's go with Movi. Let's go with Movi. Um, so if it's 30K, why has it then got an A7S 2 inside of it? <laughs> <laughs> Does not really make any
1: sense? I, th- I think that's where probably people might think, I'm going to buy the Ronin two because I can mount my RED in it or I can, I can mount my Alexa Mini. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And yeah, talking about expensive, stabilised camera gear, um, what else is on the horizon?
1: DJI bought the infamous Swedish camera makers Hasselblad and was about to see the first full-on collaboration between them with a new 100 megapixel medium format drone, which just looks so exciting. There's no price yet it's going to be reassuringly expensive because the camera that is actually inside it is an existing Hasselblad mirrorless camera. And that's around £28,000 if you want to buy it now. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be very expensive. Um, Maybe not ideal for video either. All of the video tests so far with the Hasselblad uh, cameras that can shoot raw video Uh, which is pretty exciting. But unfortunately, they all have some pretty bad rolling shutter. So maybe we'll see some improvements before that drone comes out.
0: Yeah, this is um, some pretty expensive new gear that's coming out. But let's not forget Hasselblad, you know, incredible medium format cameras, you know, the pioneers of insane landscape photography and just the possibilities that we'll be able to get out of this, um, you know, a groundbreaking, you know, it's offering some fantastic features. Um, not really sure how this is going to appeal to your kind of average filmmaker, but just the um, opportunity of having that insane ability to do super high resolution formats for um, landscape photography would be, be awesome. Bringing the price range back in a little bit, but still pretty expensive at £4,500, we're looking at the brand new announcement of the Sony A9, which was announced at the NAB show a few weeks ago. Um, This was a little bit disappointing in some regards as a lot of filmmakers were really crossing their fingers for the announcement of the well-awaited Sony A7S III, but the Sony A9 is offering a 24.2 megapixel sensor, so that's a larger sensor than the A7S II, so much bigger um, resolution for photography there. And um, This camera offers 20 frames per second still, so huge huge capabilities for shooting really really fast stills there. It's got dual SD card slots. So it's looking a little bit more professional as a as a high resolution camera, but the resolution isn't quite as high as the A7R2. And yet this price is twice twice about twice the price of the A7R2.
1: When it comes to video, unfortunately there are downsides. So whilst it's got that wonderful 4K uh video without any pixel binning, There is a massive downside for those hoping for a successor to the Alpha 7 series because there's no picture profiles. So you're not going to get a chance to shoot in S-Log or any of the cine profiles. It's just a standard Rec 709 image straight out of the camera.
0: So maybe just hang on until the new Sony announcements of the A7S III and A7R III if they do come down before putting your cash down on this new camera.
1: So that's news roundup for this week. Some exciting new tech there. It's time to get into the meat of our podcast, where we're going to chat about the Sony FS5.
0: So, the Sony FS5, a camera which I'm very well acquainted with. Um, I don't currently own one at the moment, but it was the very first camera that I had when I went freelancing about a year ago. Um, I'm shooting on the FS7 now, and so I feel like I can offer quite a bit of um, a, a clear comparison between the two cameras. Um, and yeah, I mean, the FS5 is essentially the, the baby brother to the FS7. It's about half the size and on paper, it, it pretty much does all of the same things. Like it can shoot 4K, it can do slow and quick, it's got all of the slow motion features, it's got an inbuilt... ND filter but because it's smaller it makes it a lot more convenient to use you can use it on a gimbal you can even use it on a Ronin M if you've got a small enough lens and can balance it correctly Um, it's got a relocatable viewfinder so your viewfinder doesn't just have to say stay in the same position you can relocate it to different parts Um, yeah on paper it just sounds like a a brilliant camera and you know I've, I've had a lot of fun shooting with it but from looking back over the eight months that i had with the camera it it wasn't all the best there were some kind of um, niggles that i had with it and yeah we'll kind of get into that in this conversation but um yeah matt i mean have you had much experience with the fs5 yourself
1: yeah i i used it as a b cam to some fs7s on uh, some live streams that i was doing and particularly in that use it seemed to kind of tick all the boxes smaller as you said so at times it was kind of squidged into a corner so that it was a bit easier to get some of the extra sort of B-camera shots whilst the FS7s were roaming. Um, it seemed to have pretty much all the same pitch profiles. You said shot in 4K. So it seemed at a basic level to kind of be a no-brainer. And besides the ease of being able to chuck a FS7 on your shoulder without having any kind of crazy rig going on as you do end up needing with the FS5, I kind of couldn't see what the big difference was. Uh, I remember talking to you about it before you bought it. And we had a bit of a back and forth, didn't we? Like thinking, what extra are you getting for nearly double the price when you were buying, if you were buying the FS7?
0: Yeah, because I mean, there there is a clear distinction in price point. And as I said on paper, they, they do look very similar. I, th-
1: I think you just have to, it's that thing where a bit like um, when, some of the cameras started coming out shooting, some of the stills cameras start coming out shooting 4K and you think, wow, this is incredible, crazy resolution. Um, And you have to kind of dig a little deeper and you start to see some of the on-paper issues that are almost kind of intangible until you start shooting with it. Um, I know that you obviously have a lot of experience having used it, having owned it. Um, And I kind of just, we've, we've talked about it a little bit outside of this Um, but I kind of wanted to just sort of not so much hear the the technical details like you know we know that in 4K it can't shoot 10 bit Um, in 1080p it shoots lovely 10 bit footage but what does that mean and what did that mean t- for you that held you back and made you think, actually, I want to switch up to the FS7? So
0: so the FS5 uses a completely brand new codec. It's the XAVCL codec rather than the XAVCI codec, which the FS7 uses or the XAVC... Is it S? I think it's the XAVCS yes. S codec, which yes. the A7S uses. Um, it's this new one which they've created and... It's just basically super efficient where the file sizes are tiny, but um, it's meant to retain a lot of picture information. And because of that kind of balance between the two, it makes it very processor intensive. Um, Really, really slow when you're editing the footage. Export times are really slow. Rendering times are really slow. And I hadn't really, um, I think I've just become so used to it. Like I'd edited so much FS5 stuff, I'd become quite used to how slow it was. It wasn't that I started editing some FS7 stuff again that I realised how bad it was. And the 4K out of the FS5, um, the 4K is 8-bit and that's XAVC l as well and 4k stuff was just nearly impossible to edit and i'm i'm editing on um on an imac it's got um a solid state drive and i was really struggling to edit some 4k stuff like for example i was editing a video that was like eight minutes long and it was just single camera um you know it wasn't really much media involved there it was eight minutes long and when i went to do the export it didn't it didn't have like it held the there's a really basic grade on there, no special effects or anything. Took three hours to do the export, which was just ridiculous. So the, the 4K stuff is very impractical, even on like a fast, um, even on fast editing software. And when I yeah noticed that I was getting more broadcast projects coming in um, and other things that I was going to have to do a lot of post-production on, that was kind of my point where I just thought, you know, the FS5 is the kind of weak link in here. Everything I shoot on it is going to take a long time to process. So that was kind of one of the main deciding yeah. features.
1: It's, it's an absolute no-brainer because we've, we're have we so lucky now to live in a world where so many NLEs can work with footage that isn't in an editing codec. You know, you don't have to have footage in ProRes or DNxHD to be working efficiently without having to render every two seconds so to kind of to step back in time a bit and have something which is efficient space-wise but super inefficient when it comes to editing and exporting stuff it just feels like such a step back in time and it's kind of it's kind of really holding it back it's kind of baffling that they would let it be that much more intensive
0: yeah that was kind of my deciding point but i mean there there are a lot of <clears throat> there are a lot of great features in the camera um that that should definitely be praised for one the variable nd is one of the biggest revolutions i've ever used in video camera technology like i've used variable nd screw-on filters before which are great but the biggest downside you'll find is that your your image degrades just from, you know, having cheaper glass on front of glass. But with these kind of inbuilt variable NDs, I'm not sure what the technology is behind it, but you just and from what I've experienced, you don't notice any degradation in your image quality when you use them. And being able to have an ND there that you can fade up and down, you don't just have different hard stops was a huge revelation, especially when you're shooting outdoors or if you're shooting an event and the lights changing. And you don't have to suddenly, you know, go through those hard stops of your aperture, and which will change your depth of field or change your shutter speed, which you shouldn't ever really do in any sort of um, shooting style like that. Just to be able to kind of fade your exposure very gradually, um, that's, you know, not very noticeable was um, was great. And that's one of the main features that I miss, having an FS7 Mark I now. The end, the, the, the Vera Wendy was amazing. And it was a fact I was thinking about, when I was considering getting the FS7 Mark 1 or Mark 2. And just um, for those of you that don't know, a huge amount of difference between the two, the the, the Mark 2 is about two grand more. And it doesn't really have um, many features above the Mark 1. One of them is is the Variable ND, and another is it's got a different lens mount. Um, but the image quality, as as far as I've read online, is, is nearly identical. So, you know, essentially I realised it wasn't worth... Spending two grand for exactly the same image quality.
1: The other thing I think with the FS5 is you're going to be shooting S-Log2, S-Log3, which is so insanely flat that being able to have that really confident control over your exposure is going to be really vital. And again, it's that thing of you're out on this run and gun setup, you've got total control over your exposure, you know what is going to be coming next so you can just you can really be confident on the day you're going to shoot it, which again just brings up that frustration of you then get that beautiful, incredibly flat footage, because of course, you know, S log seems to be just so much flatter than a lot of the um, rival logs at this price range. C log doesn't look flat at all in comparison. You're excited, you've got that footage, this wonderful footage you're gonna take into the edit, and then you're weighed down by that that editing codec you're yeah if if you haven't shot it in 1080p um you're not going to be getting 10 bit and as we know from the a7s 8 bit just doesn't really cut it when it comes to s-log you need to be so spot on with the exposure because as soon as you start putting it about it just falls apart so yeah i mean
0: bringing it back to the fs5 like one of the great things about it over dslrs and mirrorless is just being able to have audio straight into the camera, like not needing to have a zoom or a separate audio recorder. Just being able to plug a radio mic or a shotgun mic straight in and be able to level it and hear exactly what you're recording is great. It's all in sync. It's all there straight out of the can. You can level it on the side of the camera. Um, the FS5 has two XLR inputs for that. So, yeah, really great, really convenient. And... Very useful for a lot of people who were probably in the same situation that I was, was just doing a lot of one-man band work. Just you know, going to a shoot, doing a couple of interviews or talking heads, and you don't have the capacity for a sound guy or even a second member of crew. You're there to do the whole thing in one go. Just being able to get some decent audio going straight in, and you able to have it in one thing, and you don't have a recorder in one hand and your camera in another hand or anything and not being having to build some sort of Frankenstein rig where you've got your (laughs) H4n on the top of your camera or anything. No, just having it all straight in, which for me, I just thought was a kind of big game changer.
1: Absolutely. Like, being able to ride the levels is surely one of the biggest differentiators between terrible sound, average sound, and then actually the sort of sound that you could use straight off the camera, as you say. You know, not having to get some scratch audio and then have a sound recordist. That's, it's a total lifesaver. And again, I think this does pose it as a really good little documentary camera. I'm surprised it's not necessarily been picked up more um, for that kind of broadcast use, especially because there's so much versatility in those those modes that it has, that no other kind of straightforward documentary camera of this sort of size such as a small size can do you know crazy slow-mo as well super flat log footage um but we are obviously aware of some of the drawbacks um which is such a great frustration because i feel like we're, we're talking about how great a camera is and yet there's this thing in the back of our mind of well it's great but i just wish it did this this and this which is which is a real frustration because it could be an absolute giant killer if it was just that little bit more robust with its codecs um, and even down to things like lens support. You know, they're they're increasingly more and more E-mount lenses, but when you think about mounting serious glass on it obviously i know there's some exciting developments with some sort of zeiss cine glass and there's increasingly more cinema style lenses coming out with an e-mount but when you think about mounting some of that onto an fs5 it's still going to start getting imbalanced you're going to have to start thinking about having rails so that you've got the proper lens setup you might have to have an adapter if it's not a native e-mount whereas with the fs7 because it's that larger camera you've got a bit more weight towards the back not even just the FS7 actually, with with a lot of the other cameras, it doesn't matter that you're putting some heavy glass on the front. So there's still those limitations where, yeah, you've stepped up from the DSLRs, but you still feel a bit like you're not quite in the big leagues yet, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you've totally hit the nail on the head with that. Like, the, it has... It kind of teases you. Like, it has little cinema camera feels to it, but not quite there. And... You know the reason behind this is obviously Sony don't want to destroy their own market sales in the FS7 and other similar cameras like that by giving all these amazing features into this one camera. I mean, I I understand that a lot of it's probably technical holdbacks that they obviously can't make the best camera, the tiny camera. There's only so much you can put into a tiny camera, but there's a lot of things like. Well, just like little na- like little niggles, sort of like file naming, for example. There is no way that I found and, you know, feel free to, to tweet us at chatting underscore kit if uh, if I'm wrong at this. But like there's no way of being able to change the file naming. So every time you shoot something on it, it will always start at clip 001, I think it is. And then, um, you know, and so, so basically you'll have one day's worth of rushes. There'll be clip 001 and then the following day you go shoot something it will start clip 001 again when you put in a fresh card so it makes it really difficult when you're editing because say you have three different days that means you basically have three different sets of clip 001 and um, when your if your hard drive goes offline it will then you can have issues of linking up clips because you've got loads of clips at the same name so from that sense, like it's a real easy workaround, but I just feel like there are purposely little quirks from preventing it being a professional-grade
1: camera in that sense. Especially, as you say, where something like that is such a simple workaround when you are potentially got an assistant, camera assistant, or even if you've just got a bit more time. But as you said, like a lot of this use for this camera is going to be real run-and-gun, one-man band. And so much of the way it's designed seems really well geared towards that. So it's frustrating to then have this sort of situation where actually you couldn't really one man band it if you've got to offload footage and be very careful about your file structuring. You're going to have to automate a way of renaming it, which is simple enough, but it's dragging it down from being that camera which can be just such a total one man band machine
0: ergonomically it works really nice all of the buttons and features are all in the right place i feel like ergonomically as a camera in that sense works a lot better than the fs7 and and similar cameras like slow and quick and everything's in the right place and it's just all laid out well and as i said the variable nd like that's all all brilliant
1: you've got nice points of contact on your body if you are handheld and you're not having to catch an eyeline as you said
0: yep yep that's all great and the viewfinder on it it's not the brightest um but you it can be relocated you can screw it onto different positions on the camera. Um, there's no eye loop for it. so if you're shooting outside bright um, the, the, the the screen the external viewfinder is not that great. Um, but you can very cheaply buy um, sort of like loops for it and and things to kind of block out the light. So yeah, I mean it's yeah ergonomically I, I really liked it and also again just going back to that one man band feature. So, like, the the camera bag I was using was great because because the body of the camera is so small and it all strips down so so well. You can just have, like, this one little box of the camera, which is tiny. It hardly takes up any space. Like, you don't need to have, like, some big inconspicuous camera bag. It can just fit into, like, a rucksack. What, a well-padded rucksack, my Um So it's quite small, um, strips down tiny, and it works really well in that sense. And even when I was flying, I could fit, my FS5 lenses, audio, radio mics all into one bag. Now the FS7, I have to split into two. So there is a big, big difference of that.
1: So yeah, I think overall, we could say that it's a a great camera. Um, We just have those reservations about it that are definitely worth considering.
0: Yeah, and actually some of the last few benefits I didn't actually touch upon was one, the battery life is great, really, really efficient. So with the sony bpu ba- batteries i so i had the bpu 60 and the bpu 30 and i'm trying to remember exactly how long it was but i think i got i think it was a good two maybe two and a half hours out of the bpu 60 and then about half of that with the 30 so you get really good battery time i thought it was quite efficient like this isn't a camera where you need to buy like v-lock battery mounts for it yeah. or anything um, it's it's pretty good with those Sony batteries and and with the media as well. Um, you know, it just uses SD cards. Um, you know, you can record a long time. Like on a sixty-four gig card, you can record. I think it was about two hours on a sixty-four gig card. So you know, it's really cheap with media. Um, with the slow and quick slow motion, I mean, it was a bit frustrating. Like just being able to have those little bursts. Like if you're shooting events and things where you don't really have much control over what's happening only being able to record 20 seconds in one go and then having to wait 30 seconds for it to record was really frustrating because you'd literally just be standing there whilst things are happening waiting for it to save Um, and you know you'd be missing a lot of live action whereas if you're doing a, a music video or something that's set up and you're able to kind of start and stop like that's fine but that kind of burst mode was a bit tricky and i also did I also did find that um with different um with different write speeds of sd cards it really would affect how quickly it would save that that burst mode feature so that was another point
1: yeah i'm amazed that it hasn't taken off even more than it already has for that travel cinematography you know the things that you'll see on vimeo where someone's gone to some incredible mountain range or something and they've got this footage because you know you've got so much scope there to just have it with you at all times because it is such a nice small camera and the footage is going to be so much better than stuff that you're going to get out of an a7s or a7r however good those cameras are yeah i mean i've always
0: been surprised that um you know with the surge of the fs7 i feel like you know it's kind of become the sort of broadcast standard at the moment and i i've hardly met any fs5 owners um even like higher companies when you speak to them like a lot of them don't actually even have the fs5 so it's yeah it's a really odd camera um but yeah like the the slow-mo as you said like is fantastic like if you can work around that burst feature, it does look really, really nice. Like the hundred frames looks really, really nice. Um, I think like once you go over two hundred frames, it the quality very quickly dips. But if you stick around a hundred or so, like it, it comes out really clean. So um, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely recommend the camera. And you know, if I went back in time, I would I would still probably get the FS5 as I had done before. Like it's a really nice transition up from dslr if you're kind of making your way into the market and you're not ready to kind of you know put down that big deposit on on an fs7 or a c300 or even like a red or a mirror like the fs5 is that nice kind of entry level to professional use um sort of market so yeah i definitely recommend it for that point and just all of those professional features you know will really really help you out but you just have to be aware of just just the the workflow with with the footage is just a bit of a bit of a bugger and just yeah just some of the quirks of the camera generally but you know i wouldn't really have many hesitations other than that awesome cool shit so we've just done our first first podcast episode
1: absolutely i feel like a weight has been taken off my shoulders because we can finally bore other people with our insane nerdiness about this sort of camera talk we can't we can't put into words how long Luke and I have been chatting this sort of stuff endlessly over food, times when we should be catching up about all the other important stuff in life, but really we just want to talk about exciting stuff like codecs, cameras, lenses, all of that stuff. So there's so much more to come,
0: yeah, and I mean, like you know, feel free to give us some some feedback, like I hope we haven't been too techy or if you've got any kind of suggestions or anything, then um yeah, get in touch so we've got um at chatting underscore kit on Twitter and Instagram, which we've just opened up, looking a bit bare at the moment, as literally we've got all this stuff going from today, um but yeah, please get in contact, give us a follow and yeah send in q a like any questions and answers that you want us to answer and speak through um if there's any points that you think um you'd like us to expand upon or if there's any bits of kit that you want us to chat about then uh
1: then let us know even if you massively disagree with us on something we want to hear from you we want to hear your defenses and your disagreements we want to have a discussion
0: yeah, so like, if you feel we've been quite negative about the FS5, tell us why, what do you like about it? Send us your questions and answers, and we shall rattle through them on the next episode.
1: And next episode, we're going to be talking about external recorders and specifically the Odyssey 7Q+.
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, this is something which me and Matt have used together. And uh, yeah, I just think that going on the FS5, it's naturally the next one to kind of speak about. But, um, yeah, that's been the first episode of Chatting Kit. I hope you've enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, we shall see you for the next one.
1: See you next time.